Who is Jesus? What is his mission? We're following Jesus as he builds a movement of misfits traveling through Galilee, bringing good news to the ordinary, broken, confused, and undeserving. Who will choose to follow him? How will he react in the face of conflict? What is the good news of God's kingdom really about? Let's pick up where we left off. The Gospel of Mark script comes up from the bottom of the screen like the epic way the Star Wars movies begin. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And as the script fades, this really squirrely looking guy in camel skins comes into focus, munching on locusts, talking of repentance, preaching about someone greater and mightier to come. We see him baptizing the throngs of people that have come from all over to see for themselves who and what this guy is all about. The scene fades to black. A couple of seconds of silence follow. And all you hear is the sound of a metal buckle. The screen comes into focus and shows a close-up of a foot being strapped into a sandal. As the ties to the sandal are finally fastened, we see the back of a man walking through the countryside you get a sense that there is a purpose behind his steps. The camera widens and in the distance is the guy in camel skins. He's in a river while our man in sandals walks towards him. He steps into the water and you see the eyes of the camel skin guy widen in amazement. They exchange a brief word and then the camel skin guy dunks the man underneath the water for just a moment. As he comes back up, we see his face for the first time and hear a voice from heaven declare, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The hero of the story has arrived. His name is Jesus. The next scene flashes forward as this Jesus gathers his first four followers, promising them that they'll become fishers of men as they leave their dad still holding the nets in his hand on the seashore. Jesus and his band of four walk into the synagogue in Capernaum with a little, what's up, how you doing, nod to the Pharisees. Jesus astonishes them with his teaching because of the authority in which he speaks. A couple of seconds later, in walks this dude. Real dark circles under his eyes. Looks like he hasn't slept for days and cries out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, Holy One of God. Jesus, seemingly unfazed, stops his teaching, turned towards the man, and utters the words, Be silent and come out of him. The crowd gasps as the unclean spirit leaves him. They begin to question, what, what is this, a, a new teaching with authority? News of this spreads throughout all of Galilee. Jesus has just gone viral. By sundown, the whole city gathers at the door of Simon and Andrew looking for access to Jesus. And one by one, the sick, the diseased, and those with unclean spirits are brought in. They come in looking like a mess, but they leave healed. The scene closes with the last of the guests leaving, Jesus blessing her as the door closes turns to his band of four, gives them a smile of contentment, followed with a big yawn. He pauses for a moment while scanning each of their faces and then says to them, time to get some sleep, boys. More work awaits us tomorrow. This is where we pick up the story as we continue in our journey through the Gospel of Mark. If you were here with us in September, you know that we won't end this journey, in, in, uh, this journey of ours until the Easter of 2025. And we'll be breaking away from it from time to time, and we'll also be segmenting the book down into sections and, and smaller series. And so this is our second series in Mark, and we're titling this series, A Movement of Misfits. 
See, over the next two months, we're going to read about the beginning of his movement, a movement full of miracles and healings of the otherwise neglected and forgotten. We're going to follow Jesus as he travels through Galilee, bringing good news to the ordinary, broken, confused, and undeserving. People who on the surface look more like misfits rather than worthy and deserving. In the midst of all of it, we're going to see Jesus confront conflict of many kinds as he comes face to face with demons and angry religious leaders and, and even family members trying to stop him. And it is our hope that with every encounter, every miracle, every parable, you will begin to find answers to what it looks like to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Which brings me to our big idea for today. You see, the steps you take reveal who you are following. Now, if you've known me for any length of time, I'm kind of somewhat obsessed with watching people walk. Like, ask my wife, Heather. It doesn't matter where we're at, grocery store, Presque Isle, out to eat. She'll inevitably hear me say, Heth, 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 look, look at that guy. Look at that guy. And then I go into a biomechanical breakdown of what he's got coming to him. Or ask Pastor Sarah about the time we were walking out of the Pittsburgh airport. We barely knew each other, and there I was highlighting all the unique features of how she walked. She has never been the same since. And if you're wondering, yes, I've watched all of you walk too. I just can't help it. And here's why. You see, it's because each gait is so unique to the individual. You've got the duck walkers, the pigeon-toed walkers, the happy walkers, the prancer-sizers, the too-cool-for-school walkers, the excessive arm-swinging walkers, the very-very-proper walkers, the I'm-trying-not-to-fall-over walkers, the it's-all-about-your-hips walkers, and then my personal favorite, the invisible-lat-weight-room walker. <laughs> right now, I'm picturing all of you wondering which one of those you are. Anyway... Back in, my, back in my clinical practice days, when someone came in with a lower leg pain or hip or back pain, the first thing I would do is watch them walk. You see, watching them walk gave me a blueprint on what part of their lower leg structure wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing and why they were having the pain and the problems that they were having. And when it came to like, correcting the dysfunction, it was, it was about meeting their style of gait where they were at to get them onto a path to healing. You see, the truth is, Jesus wants to do the same thing with me and you. To transform you for the better no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've gone, or even where you're at. And one of the best ways to do that is to open, <laughs> to open up his word and put yourself in the story. You see, because the Bible, the story of God's redemptive and restorative work in a broken and dysfunctional world, is a story that he invites you to be a part of. But here's the thing. Like when you open his word, you shouldn't just see it as a picture. You should also use it as a mirror. And then over time, as you're rehabilitated back to health, it eventually becomes a window in which to see the world through. So today we're going to watch Jesus walk. And we're going to analyze this gate, a gate that is full of grace. And along the way, we will use this passage to identify four keys to a gate of grace. So with that as our backdrop, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 35. And just to toggle our memories a bit from last week, I'm actually going to jump back three verses, and we're going to start in verse 32. So here we go. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 32, and it reads this. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. All right, so let's pause right there for a second. Here's what I want you to do. Put yourself, put yourself in the story for a second. Like picture Simon or Andrew. Imagine the workload. 
Like imagine um, the amount of people that Jesus and his first disciples saw that day. It sounds like it was like this assembly line of awesome and wonder. Like I've got to be imagining that they were like sneaking glass, glances at one another thinking, are you seeing this right now? Like did you just watch that demon come out of Janus? Like that dude Cyrus that's been at the gate crippled for years, he just got up and walked. I mean, they had to be lying wide-eyed in bed that night, unable to sleep. You see, that's why I so resonate with Simon's reaction the following morning. I'd be like, let's go! Like, this is what we've been waiting for. It's what our ancestors talked about. It's what the prophets spoke of, and it's finally here. Like, how about you? Like, would you be there right with me? Like, chomping at the bit to do some more of the same that you saw the previous day? Like, maximize impact. Some of you might be creating like a sign-in sheet so we could track info, follow-up numbers, email, and addresses. Others of you would probably have like a spreadsheet already to go crunching numbers, analyzing average time spent, forecasting models of how many lives changed. Then the others of you would be like sharing content on your socials, adjusting and applying filters, res responding to followers and all the comments that blew up overnight. And there we would be, like coordinating efforts, delineating tasks and roles, plowing breakfast while we move about and restructure the house so that we can fit more people in. And then Simon chimes in, hey, anybody see where Jesus went? I wonder how many of you listening this morning are so busy doing life that you're missing out on the life that God has purposed you to live. Remember our big idea for today. The steps you take reveal who you are following. Oh, church, if we're being honest, most of us are moving way too fast. We're way too busy and too focused on living a productive life rather than an impactful life. We feel like we need to be active every minute of the day. We confuse busyness and a loaded calendar with being productive and successful and efficient and effective and meaningful. In our heads, we've bought into the lie that being busy is the way to a meaningful and significant life. Which brings us to our first key to walking with the gate of grace, and it's this. Sometimes we just need to get off our feet. Now listen, I can't blame Peter, and, and I can't blame the gang for how they went about starting day two, because if I'm being honest, I would have done the same thing because I so often do the same thing. I get caught up in the rush of doing things for God and forgetting the importance of being with God. And this is why it's so important to compare the gate of the disciples to the gate of Jesus. Because while the disciples were focused on the work of the Father, Jesus was focused on following his Father. And this is a pattern we see throughout Jesus' ministry getting up early in the morning to be alone with his father. And early in the morning most likely meant back then that Jesus was up somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. But can you imagine what that time with his father was like? I'm sure there was some praise and adoration Jesus offered. Maybe thought of some of the faces from the night before, taking time to even pray for them. He was probably praying for his disciples. But then he also probably did a lot of listening, like listening for the direction for the days ahead. And as I studied this passage, it convicted me. Because while I do a pretty decent job about finding my chair and spending time in his word, I don't spend enough time in prayer. You see, my gate has been more about doing rather than being lately. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, his hard day's work probably ran on far into the night. Yet a great while before day, he was up at the sacred work of supplication. The more we have to do the more work we have to do with men for God, the longer we ought to be at work with God for men. If you plead with men, you cannot hope to prevail unless you first plead with God. You see, the value of prayer is not that God gets a chance to hear you. It's that you get a chance to hear from him. I mean, think of the benefits of starting your day in prayer. 
Like it gives you, it gives you the chance to commit your day into his hands. It prepares your mind, reminds you of whose you are. It positions you, strengthens you for what the day has in store, builds and develops a healthy relationship, a healthy rhythm with God, provides the opportunity for guidance and direction. I mean, is anybody looking for that in their life? And for those of you saying, but Scott, I'm just not a morning person, man. Well, let me put it this way. Like, what if I asked you, how successful would you be driving across the country without GPS? Like if we took away all the road signs, all the labeled exit ramps, all the highway markers, and you were just left with an unmarked maze of concrete. Sadly, that's how many of you go about navigating your day. Now listen, just for a second, for those of you with like little kids or up all night parents or swing shift workers, there are seasons of light that call for adjustments to be made. Find what fits best. Make it less about a set time and more about a time set. But here's the thing, if Jesus himself declared that apart from the Father, he could do nothing, how much more important is it for you and I to follow his lead on this? And there are a ton of resources about spiritual disciplines in our School of Prayer series that we've covered over the last couple of years to reference back to if you're looking for a place to start. I just think this is one of those times where we need to look at a story like this for more than just a picture. We need to hold it up as a mirror. Remember our big idea, the steps you take reveal who you are following. And I think we could all benefit from following his lead and get off our feet and onto our knees in prayer more often, don't you? All right, so let's pick up the story and see how Jesus responds to his disciples in verse 38. And he said this, he said to them, let us go onto the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Here's our second key, walk with purpose. You see, for Jesus, he had a clear purpose always before him. Verse 38 says, let us go somewhere else. I like the message translation. It says, let us go to the rest of the villages that I may preach there also, for that is why I have come. And as we saw last week, the focus here in the first half of Mark are the villages around the Sea of Galilee. You know, there are nearly about 200 villages in this, 200 villages in this region, and Jesus intended to reach each one of them. And as we see in verse 39, Jesus' eyes were like laser focused on the mission at hand. Yes, there were miracles, signs, and wonders, but they were never the main focus as Pastor Sarah masterfully captured last week. See, Jesus knew that the greater healing that was needed was a spiritual healing. And Jesus used the physical healings to point to his authority as the Son of God, to validate his authority over sin, and to tell the world why he came, to redeem humanity through his perfect life and sacrifice and his victorious resurrection. You know, some of you need to be reminded this morning that the purpose you have been called to is to point people to Jesus. That's the common mission we are all called to. It's not just meant for some of us, it's meant for all of us. That's your primary purpose. And your primary purpose is directly linked to your primary identity. You are a child of God. Which means you're not a VP of a company first, you're a child of God first. You're not a financial advisor first. You're a child of God first. You're not a mom or a dad first. You're a child of God first. You're not an athlete first or a student first. You're a child of God first. Let your identity in Christ inform your purpose in life. That's what we see. That's what we hear with Jesus. He knew that he was the son of God and it was this identity that informed how he was able to walk with such purpose. And the same thing holds true for you. You are a child of the risen King Jesus. And there is a contextualized way God has designed you to walk that out. You see, there's only one you, uniquely designed, purposefully placed to share how your story became a part of God's story. 
That's the purpose which you should walk with. And when we do that, when we stay in step with the gate of grace, God gives us the opportunity to impact those we come into contact with. So the first key, get off your feet. The second, walk with purpose. And the third key to walking with the gate of grace is to embrace the uns. Now, let's pick the story back up in verse 40 and see what I mean by that. And it says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Now to understand the significance of this exchange, we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of the leper. You know, he probably stood in a priest's exam room for several minutes in a state of shock after hearing the diagnosis. I'm sorry, you've got leprosy. And then at some point, he must have ripped his robe, gathered some dust, and rubbed it all over his face and his hair, recalling what it said in Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And when he stepped outside, he, he slowly covered his mouth and he choked out the dreaded words, Unclean! I'm, un I'm unclean! And he kept his distance, aware that one of the laws said that it was unlawful for a leper to get within 50 feet of a clean person. On a windy day, the rule changed to 200 feet. Probably for the first time in his life, people retched and recoiled when they saw him. A mother grabbing her children, yelling, Don't touch that man! Stay away from him! A vendor of vegetables shouting, Get out of here! When people saw him, they most likely probably threw stones at him. But the worst was yet to come because he knew he could no longer have contact with his wife or his kids. When his wife would have seen him coming from a distance back from his appointment with the priest, she and their children must have like ran out to him in joy and excitement, only to hear him growl, Keep away! Keep away from me! I'm no longer your father! I'm a leper! Could you imagine? And in the days that followed, a funeral was probably held for him by the local rabbi because he was considered dead the moment he was diagnosed. And in the end, these four words described his condition. Unclean, unwanted, unworthy, unloved. This is what makes the encounter with Jesus so remarkable. Because he could have easily just said the words and healed the man from a safe distance. He could have told the leper to go in and wash himself in the river, much like the story of Naaman from the Old Testament. But Jesus demonstrated something so much more intimate. He reached out and touched the man. Can you imagine what the touch of another human being must have felt like for this man? I mean, it must have wrecked him, torn down every wall of hurt and pain, all because Jesus was willing to embrace what the world deemed unwanted and unlovable. But this isn't just a nice picture of Jesus to look at. We, as a, as a church, we need, we need to use this as a mirror. Because a gate of grace should have us walking towards and embracing the uns in our life. So I ask you, who are the uns in your life? Is it that Democrat or Republican that you share a cubicle with? Maybe it's that person that seems like they just can't fit in, like that everyone else makes fun of. Are they the orphans you feel God calling you to to love and explore adoption with? Is it taking the time to understand those who deal with a mental illness on every day? 
Maybe it's time to get to know thousands of the immigrants who call Erie home. Or maybe befriending someone from the LGBTQIA community, getting past your preconceived notions and biases and seeing them as God sees them. Maybe it's time to form a friendship with someone with a mental or physical debility, to, to understand the world through their eyes. You know, Henry Nouwen, who worked for many years among the uns of his day, shared this reflection. He said, in the Western world, the suffering that seems to be the most painful is that of feeling rejected, ignored, despised, and left alone. In my own community, with many severely handicapped men and women, the greatest source of suffering is not the handicap itself, but the accompanying feelings of being useless, worthless, unappreciated, and unloved. It is much easier to accept inability to speak or walk or feed oneself than it is to accept the inability to be of special value to another person. We human beings can suffer immense deprivations with great steadfastness, but when we sense that we no longer have anything to offer to anyone, we quickly lose our grip on life. Instinctively, we know that the joy of life comes from the ways in which we live together and that the pain of life comes from the many ways we fail to do that well. Listen, we are far from perfect here. We haven't always gotten it right, but I know we'll continue to learn and get better as long as we remember that we are all uns in some way, shape, or form. And if there is one place that someone can go from feeling unloved, unworthy, or unwanted, it should be the church. Remember our big idea, the steps you take reveal who you are following. What do the steps we take as a church reveal about who we are following? Like, are we a church that makes people feel unclean, unwanted, unworthy, and unloved? Or are we a church that walks with the gate of grace and makes people feel clean, wanted, worthy, and loved? Jesus reached and touched someone, and that someone was changed forever. And we are called to do the same because the same was done for us. And we have the best chance of making that happen when we follow the keys to a gate of grace. Okay, so... Let's finish up our passage and look at our final key. Let's pick it back up. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, this is Mark's first report of Jesus telling a healed person not to tell anyone. So what, like, what gives? Well, let me offer a couple of reasons why Jesus could have wanted this guy to go and proclaim his healing to the priest first. See, first, this would have simply been to uphold the law of Moses. Leviticus 14 says that a person supposedly healed from leprosy is commanded to show themselves to the priest so that the healed person would be declared ceremonial clean. The priest would issue a certificate of cleansing after verifying the healing so that it would help the person be accepted back into their community. And the second reason Jesus may have had in mind was the fact that the priests and the Bible scholars knew that the Messiah would be able to heal lepers. I mean, nothing like this had happened in at least 800 years, not since a guy named Naaman from the Old Testament was healed of leprosy while walking into the Jordan River. And this would have given such a strong testimony to the priests and the scholars of the day. It's the exact validation John the Baptist was seeking when he was in jail. Listen to Jesus' words. Tell, Jesus, tell John, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are healed. But sadly, we, we see that the leper didn't listen. And his disobedience had ramifications. You see, it hampered Jesus. Because of the leper's disobedience, Jesus no longer could walk freely. I mean, the minute he walked into a town, people would just flock to him. It made it harder for him to find rest anywhere. 
So he would have to continue to go out to desolate places, and it was a pattern that followed him throughout the rest of his time on earth. Which brings us to our fourth key to walking with a gate of grace, and it's this. Comply with Christ. Listen, any time I sat down with a patient who had a rehab program ahead of him, I would talk about expectations, both theirs and mine, and talk about like desired outcomes and assure them that they were in good hands, that together we would reach the goals that were set before them. But then I would look at them and I'd get this really serious look on my face to make sure I had their attention. And then I'd ask him this question. Do you want to know the number one determining factor for how this rehab process plays out? And after a moment of silence, I'd say this. It's you. What's going to determine your success is your compliance to the process, which means that you're going to have to trust the experts who've come up with the process, even when you want to move faster or take on more. And those who didn't, they often sabotaged the healing process, all because they wanted to do it their way. Sound familiar? Like you ever find yourself kneeling before God, pleading, imploring for him to intervene, and then, and then after you get what you want from him, you go back to doing what you want? Or maybe you found yourself saying, I, I know what the Bible says, and I, I do obey most of what it says, but this area right here, like, I just, I just can't. I just can't do that. Listen, if that's you, hear me on this. Partial obedience is still disobedience. You need to remember that when you gave your life to Jesus, you effectively entered a spiritual rehabilitation process. Like he sat you down, he laid out the goal. He said, listen, listen, we're, we're gonna grow you in maturity. We're gonna work hard on distancing you from the power and presence of sin in your life. But it's going to depend on your obedience to the word of God. And when you go off and do it on your own way, you're basically telling God that you don't trust his process. Let's not forget, let's not forget who you think you know better than. You think you know better than the guy who walked on water made the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, who brought, with a simple touch, brought healing to a woman's nightmare, who with a word calmed the sea itself, who turned five loaves and two fish into a meal for 5,000, who brought the dead back to life. But most importantly, we're talking about the one who knew you before you were born, who took on the cross for you, also that you could be in relationship with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. Maybe it's time to comply brings me to our next step. I want to point us back to the four themes that we are highlighting throughout our time in Mark's gospel. Remember that each one has a discipleship question associated with it. And the one that goes along with our theme today is the question I want you to focus on this week. And here's the question. How does this picture of Jesus compel me to live differently? Would you take the time this week and ask the Holy Spirit to do an honest gate assessment on you? And then whatever pops up, would you just listen and act on it? Because as we learn today, the steps you take reveal who you are following. And my hope and prayer is that as you ponder that question this week, God would give you a bit more clarity on what you need to do to walk with the gate of grace. Love you, gang. Go be awesome for Jesus this week.